Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 66. Guess what? It's a great big world out there, and you don't have to be scared, because it's all yours for the taking. I know that your dreams are big and bright, and God gave you this life to do crazy things. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, principal from Skytook High School and host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about what factors predict student success. If you're listening to this at the time of its recording, we just wrapped up our school year at Skytook High School with some amazing time with graduation and celebration. And if you want to check out previous posts about celebration ideas for the end of the school year, you can check out uh, my previous post, which was celebration ideas for finishing the school year. And you can check out all kinds of resources like that one at my website at williamdparker.com. If you want to subscribe for free weekly updates, I'll give you an, an ebook called Eight Hats. Essential Roles for School Leaders, or you can check out my book, Principal Matters, The Motivation, Action, and Courage Needed for School Leaders at my website or at Amazon.com. A while back, I was having lunch with a friend who works in petroleum engineering, and he uh, he's much younger than I am, but he's very smart. And as we talked about the kinds of research and data that he uses to determine where his company drills and explores for oil, um, he asked me, a really important question that no one had ever asked me before. You know, investors are especially interested in their ability to determine whether they should drill in a certain area, especially in the oil market. And he was probing me with the question of what qualities exist in schools that make them great investments. But here's actually how he asked the question. He said, and I'm going to quote this, he said, in a meta-analysis of student data, what would you say are the most significant factors for predicting student success? Now, I, I had to ask him to repeat that question because in all the years that I've been in education, no one has ever posed a question to me like that in, in that framework. And let me just first tell you what I said because it, looking back now, I realize how much time I should have reflected before I spoke. Because when he asked me what kind of meta-analysis of student data predicts student success, I really did not think about any research that I had ever read. I just thought about my own practice. And I gave him what I realize now was a very stereotypical answer. I said to him, well, probably socioeconomic backgrounds, parental education, literacy, those are the most significant indicators for whether students are going to be successful in school, especially when you look at assessments like the ACT or the SAT. And so we talked about that. What role those factors play in the lives of students? And as I talked about how each of these factors can, can vary from kid to kid, we, um, we ended the conversation with that kind of being my position. But, but for some reason, there was a, a dissatisfaction that I had with that answer. And it was a little bit later... Um, after that conversation that I was sitting through a presentation by an educator named Chris Tavani. And Chris Tavani, I'll link to uh, her website in the show notes for this podcast. But she was, she was presenting a blog post by an educator named Grant Wiggins who had written a, 
post called What Works in Education? Hattie's List of Great Effects and Why It Matters. And if you have studied meta-analysis on student success and research, you're probably familiar with John Hattie's book, Visible Learning, which I had frankly forgotten when I was thinking about the question that my friend had asked me. But Grant's blog post was an analysis of John Hattie's book. And this is what struck me, is in this article that Grant Wiggins had written, he does a brief synopsis of the thousands of cases of research that John Hattie had done on student learning. And Hattie's book, Visible Learning, is probably the most exhaustive resource for research into what factors affect the most whether or not students are learning. Uh, And he looks at all kinds of different data points, but he has a gauge of how he looks at those that research in order to determine whether or not um, a specific factor has significantly influenced the way that a student learns. And in Hattie's research, he calls these effect sizes. And so let me just see if I can set the tone for this without you seeing it, because it may be hard to do listening to audio. So I will obviously link to some uh, some visuals for this as well in the show notes. Just about any factor that you look at when it comes to instructional strategies has some kind of effect on student learning. And so Hattie, when he lays out effect sizes, he determines that obviously, you know, if zero is the, the base point and anything above that um, is an effect size, the low would be a, you know, a a 0.10, but the medium, the 0.40, is the area that he determines begins to show what would be considered really desired effects in student learning. And so in all of the thousands of different um, data points that he looked at in terms of factors that affect student learning, what he considers to be high effect sizes is anything that falls from the 0.4 area up into the Point nine and above those areas are you're seeing significant effects. And here's what's interesting. When you look at the data that Hattie shares on what significantly affects student learning, he lists, you can, you can start listing out about 39 or 40 effect sizes that fall between that point four, that, that point nine range down to that point four range. And so you're starting with very high effect sizes, things like Students being able to self-assess their work. That's a very high effect point. Or RTI time, when you respond to intervention with student learning and you're immediately helping them, that's a high effect size. Uh, Teacher credibility, um, how much do students trust their teachers? That's a high effect point. Um, Teacher clarity, how clearly teachers teach. And so there's there's a great list that Hattie has put together of the highest effect factors when it comes to the significance in student learning. And if you begin walking down that list, here's what's interesting. When you get down to about 39, 40 on that list of effect sizes, you finally get to, guess what? Home environment and socioeconomic status. Now, yes, home environment and socioeconomic status do have an effect on student learning. But in comparison to all of the other things that have higher effect sizes, it ranks like 39 and 40. It ranks lower than classroom cohesion. It ranks lower than classroom management strategies. It ranks lower than teacher-student relationships. It ranks lower than vocabulary programs. And so 
when I looked at this post and I thought about that conversation that I had with my friend, suddenly I was embarrassed because I realized I had fallen into the same trap that so many of us fall into when it comes to student learning, which is assuming that a student's background will determine their outcome. And we all know that's not true. We've had students prove that to us over and over and over again, that their home environment and their socioeconomic status are not determining factors of their outcomes. Now, they may play a factor in how it affects student learning, but they're not the overwhelming factors that affect student learning. You know, I think instinctively as educators, we know that every student has the capacity for great learning, regardless of his background, regardless of his or her handicaps. But I was guilty of this easy generalization by classifying students' backgrounds higher than other factors. So this week, I just want to challenge you. As you think about what factors predict student success, don't fall into the same traps that often as educators we do, where we quickly reach judgments on students or on student learning based on factors that are beyond their control. And of course, this is substantiated through lots of other research. There's a great article that ASCD put out uh, in 2005 on high-performing schools in high-poverty areas. And I just want to read a quote from that to you because here was the conclusion of that article, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But listen to this quote. Quote, high-performing, high-poverty schools seem to exhibit a number of common traits that differ significantly from practices of lower-performing, high-poverty schools, including a school-wide ethic of high expectations, caring, respectful relations between stakeholders, strong academic and instructional focus, regular assessment of individual students, collaborative decision-making structures, and non-authoritarian principles, strong faculty morale and work ethics, and coordinated staffing strategies, end quote. When I read that, I had to stop for a moment and think about the fact that high-performing, high-poverty schools have the same traits that high-performing non-poverty schools have that each of them shares the same practices that lead to student success. And so when you look at what factors predict student success, let me just encourage you with some reminders of common traits that all great schools share. And that same article from ASCD lists eight. And let me just list those for you really quickly. Number one, the belief that all students can succeed. Number two, high expectations. Number three, collaborative decision-making. Number four, teachers who accept their roles in students' successes or failures. Number five, strategic assignments of staff. Number six, regular teacher-parent communication. Number seven, a caring staff and faculty. And number eight, a dedication to diversity and equity. So here's my question, and here's my takeaway. In, in, the, in this world that we live in, where investors are willing to commit to things like drilling explorations or technology investments, if the data supports that their risk is wise, what do we have to present to the world that makes them see that public education is worth the investment? Because in the world of education, policymakers and voters are the ones who will determine the percentage of revenues that are made for schools. So, so I'm asking this as a challenge to myself as well. How are we giving our investors a wise risk for increasing funding for common ed? And I believe that the answer is found in how we communicate about our schools, what kinds of environments that we're creating there, and how we are significantly providing kids with quality educations so that no matter what their backgrounds are, they have the environment that can most likely lead to success. So let me wrap this up. 
The next time that you are asked what factors most affect student success, let me encourage you to avoid the easy answer, the easy answer that I gave to my friend, and instead remember what research actually confirms. When, when you have inst effective instructional and learning practices that are coupled with deep commitments to nurturing school cultures, then you have the greatest chances of affecting student growth. And student growth requires exceptional instructors, exceptional teachers, but all of that requires resources. But when you provide that kind of environment, it's worth the investment for kids. And of course, we need the investments in order to provide that kind of environment for kids too. So now it's your turn. What are some of the strategies that you're seeing already in your school environment that match that list of high qualities that Hattie's research shows and that that ASCD research shows because there's some great things happening in your school right now. How can you continue to encourage those? And what are some factors from those lists that maybe you can begin exploring to improve in the learning environment of your school? For us, at my school, we're getting ready to step into summer. We're wrapping up. Our teachers are finished. Our students are finished. Our office staff has been here getting ready to, to finish out, wrapping up the year and getting report cards ready. So as I step into my summer and I'm looking at what are some ways I can be investing in research? What are some things that I can be doing this summer to help my school become a better environment? Let me encourage you to do the same thing. One book that I picked up to read for myself this summer, since my background has been in English, is Visible Learning for Literacy by Douglas Fisher, Nancy Frey, and John Hattie. It's a collaboration that John Hattie did with two teachers who are practicing literacy instructors because is. Um, great as Hattie's research is, sometimes applying it into learning environments can be difficult unless you talk to teachers that are doing it. And that book, Visible Learning for Literacy, is one that does it. There's also one Corwin Literacy has put out on math, too. So let me just uh, um, encourage you to, to pick those up if you're looking for some great reads. Well, that's it for this week. I just want to encourage you as you are either finishing up your school year or stepping into whatever season you have coming next that the work that you're doing with students is so incredibly important. And if you'd like to check out other free resources like this one, you can do so at my website at williamdparker.com. A quick shout out to anyone who lives in Texas. Uh, I will be speaking at the TASSP state conference there. Uh, I'll be down there June 13th and June 14th. And so I just would love to connect with you if you're going to be at that Texas conference. Until next time, I just want to encourage you to continue serving your students because the work that you do is so important. What you do matters. And I'll talk to you again soon. You were made for Christ.